Good morning. I trust that we are all preparing for the snow blizzard. There is more than a 20% chance that some cold rain could potentially have more than a 10% chance of converting to something similar to frozen precipitation, which means in hot springs, Kroger and Walmart have been completely raided of milk and bread because heaven forbid we go more than about three hours without at least three gallons of milk in our refrigerator. Isn't that amazing, though, when there is just a call for we have to have milk and bread? How long have we ever, how many times in our lives have we been snowed in to the extent that you don't have something in your pantry that you can live off? I mean, it's like typically within about two hours, we're good to go. You can get back out. But I don't know. I still say that the grocery stores and the weather people have something. They're in in cahoots together. We're going to start our study this morning in in 1 John. 1 John is different. While it has the same author of the Gospel of John, it's different in nature. It's different in in the, uh, the point of the book, some of the themes of the book, the thesis of the book. Is very different. It is actually a letter. It's an epistle. It's a letter, and we see a lot of of Paul's letters. And one of the one of the trends, or something we see in in Paul's letters, which take up such the bulk of the New Testament, are they are written to specific people. So many times they're written to either a church, to a group of people, to a person, or to a couple of people. Where John's here, and Paul's very clear with those letters. Right in the beginning, who it's to, who it's addressed to. John does not do that for us. So because of that, we know that during this time that he wrote it, he was housed in the, in the area of Ephesus and, and that part of, of, of Asia and what we would call Turkey now today, kind of in that part of the world. That's where he was housed. So most people believe that, that basically who he was writing to were those believers in that area. It was written not so much in letter format like many of Paul's we see. While it is, typ- uh, it is classified as an epistle, as a letter, it's not really written in that same format. It's really written a little more uh, sermonic or like if he was writing a message or a sermon to these people. Okay, So as we see that, as we're studying through it, kind of keep that in mind that it's a little bit different in that. Now what he's really... What he's really doing here in these first four verses that we're going to look at is he's giving his his thesis. He's giving his main point. Everybody remember senior English class? You had to write your your thesis statement. And what what was your thesis statement? It had to do what? Okay, some of you didn't do as well. It's been too long. It's been a minute. Okay, it's all right. So basically your thesis is you're telling your reader, you're telling your audience what it is that you're about to tell them. You're giving them the main point of your synopsis of, hey, this is what the point of my entire writing and research or whatever, this is my thesis, this is what you need to walk away from knowing. This is it. 
I, I have an opportunity through my job and, and that sort of thing to, to speak to different groups. And in doing that, I also have recruiters that, that, that work under me that I have sent out to go speak to different groups. And the, the advice and what I tell them to do when I'm training them in doing that is that we need to make sure when you're speaking to a group, you do three things. You need to tell them what you're going to tell them. Then you need to tell them. Then you need to tell them what you told them. So tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. That's the extent of my training of going out to, because that is how you emphasize, and my kids would probably agree with that, because I, I say it over and over and over and over and over. But as we study through this epistle, I really kind of got to feeling pretty good about John, because I feel like he shares that same value. Because as we go through the book of 1 John, I think you're going to see that. Now today, he's about to tell us what he's going to tell us in the first four verses. But as we continue, then he's going to be telling us, and then he's going to end with telling us what he told us. So I think he got that, and we're going to see the same things come up over and over and over. Well, here's the thing. If John, the Apostle John, the disciple whom Christ loved, the one that walked right there with him, the one that was there at the crucifixion, the one that as Christ was hanging on the cross, looked to John and asked John to take care of his mother. If that person thought that what he's about to tell us was so important that he's going to tell us what he's going to tell us and then tell us and then tell us what he told us, then I think it's something we need to take to heart. Doesn't that just make sense? All right, so let's look at, at where he starts, at where he starts here. Let's just read through uh, the first four verses. We're going to read the first four verses, and then we'll, we'll go back and dissect each verse a little bit, and then I want us to leave with three, with three points to ponder here that I think John gives us in these first four verses. First John chapter 1, verse 1. It would help if I got in the right book. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Look at how different John's letter is from what we see like with Paul that we studied in our last. Look how different he writes. He just jumps right in, doesn't he? He doesn't have a whole lot of greetings and, hey, this is who I am and this is da-da-da-da-da and to the people of this and this. He just jumps in with, what am I going to tell you about? I'm telling you about the word of life. That's where he starts, right here in the very beginning. In verse 1, what was from the beginning, what was from the beginning, hold your finger there and let's look over at John's gospel. Flip over to John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 1.
and see if we don't see what was so important to John. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, how do you start his epistle in 1 John? What was from the beginning? In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Hold your, ver hold your finger there. In 1, 4, go back to 1 John. What did he say at the end of verse 1? Concerning the word of what? Life. Who is that life? Jesus. It's the Christ. It's the Messiah. That is the life. Back to the Gospel of John. In verse 5, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. And then he goes on to tell the rest uh, of, of the story there. But we see the similarities here of how he starts his letter, how he starts his sermon to these people. He starts with saying, you need to know who Christ is. You need to know who Christ is. He has forever been. He was here from the beginning. He is the word of life. He is the life. The phrase word of life there in 1 John, really a uh, the way that would be interpreted, it's, it's actually the message. The message of life. This is the story of life. It's the message of life. It is what life is. You want to know what is real? What is real life? What's reality? John's about to tell us. He says, the word of life, the message of life is the Christ. It is Jesus. Now, we need to back up and understand why did he, why is that the way he starts? this sermon. Understand we're about in 90 AD right now, okay? We're probably 50 to 60 years after Christ has been crucified, resurrected, and has ascended back in to heaven, okay? So we're about 50 to 60 years removed from that, and already there are beginning to be people within the church, not just the, the outsiders, but people within the church are already starting to infiltrate ideals within the church, within what, what used to be, you know, the, the Christian believers there, within the church, people are already starting to have this idea of, well, maybe we can't take a lot of these stories and things that have been written about Christ literal. It was Gnosticism was, the, was the, uh, what we call it with that, but there began to be a viewpoint of, really, you know, knowledge is more powerful than this virtue of faith. There's a lot of this, we need to look at the Word of God, look at Scripture, and try to get the main points of them, and to try to get some, some uh, the moral of the story, but not really take in count all of the details of it. Kind of like a fable, or a fairy tale. There is some moral to the story that you can learn something from that, but you don't take everything literal. There was already beginning to be the idea within the church that Christ came and, and he was a good teacher, but, but really this whole idea of, of resurrecting from the dead, is that's pretty out there. That's hard to really comprehend. That's hard to wrap 
my mind around. And so let's just say he was a good teacher. And so we should follow some of the guidelines and principles that Christ had, but we don't necessarily need to study every detail and believe that everything that happened happened in a very literal sense. Does any of that sound very familiar? Does that not sound like so much of what we hear today in our society, sometimes even within churches, that there are some really good things about what Christ did, and he's a really good teacher? That, that's the one that always blows me away. He was a really good teacher, but we do, I don't know that we need to believe some of the things that he said about himself. So essentially what you're saying is, he's a really good teacher, except he's a liar. How, is that really a good teacher then? It's like, I just wonder if when they say that out loud, does that make sense? You kind of have to decide he either is or he isn't. And so th that's what, what John's combating here. So when he's giving this sermon, I think it's so applicable to where we are today in our society because I think so much of it's the same. How often do we hear that the Bible's a good book and it's got some great principles and some good guidelines to it, but you don't necessarily need to think of everything in a very liter literal and accurate sense, that you should just pluck out some main truths or main ideas and try to live and treat everybody nicely, so on and so forth. So because of that, I think, I think we're going to gain a lot from what John tells us here in his book. In verse 1, he says, well, it's from the beginning what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Again, he's telling these people, remember the audience, some of them are already starting to doubt, was this person of Christ, was he someone's idea? Is he real? John is giving his authority of, look, I have been there. I've walked with him. I've heard him, I've seen him, I've touched him. He was very real, very practical. The things that I'm telling you, I have the authority to say because I was there. Because I, I heard him, I saw him, I touched him, I walked with him. Concerning the word of life, the message of life, the message of Christ, is how we can see that in verse 1. Verse 2. The life was manifested. What does manifested mean? What's that? Revealed? Manifested means that it's, it's not just the ability to be seen. But if something is manifested, then yes, it can be seen, but it is actually manifested or it's created. It is a verb. It is an action that it is displayed or it is shown. You see the difference between being seen and being shown? There's a difference, isn't there? You can be somewhere and be seen. But if you're up on stage, then you are what? You are being shown. So what John is trying to, to tell this, this group here is that Christ did not come and hide. He did not come and make himself very difficult to find and he's some elusive mythical character that, good luck, hope you can find him. But he's saying he was manifested. He became real in order that he could be displayed for who and what he is. It's important that we know that. It's important that we understand that Christ, when he came to earth, did not come 
and then hide from everyone like some kind of sick game. And those that have the right answers and those that are some kind of, you know, have some great private investigator skills are going to be able to determine who he was and they get to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's not why Christ came. He came to be manifested to us, to be displayed to us, to be shown to us, to be presented to mankind as the way, the truth, and the life. So understand the audience that he's speaking to, which I think is so much like our audience today in society. He's being displayed. He should be shown. Now, I think sometimes Christ is hidden, but I think we're the ones that are guilty of doing that. And by we, I don't mean those that are non-believers. I mean believers. Because we don't want to say everything that he really is because we're afraid some of the people might think we're a little, you know, we don't want to be seen like that. So let's just say what we're comfortable with. And so because of that, we cloak some of who Christ is. And we just allow a little bit to be seen just enough that we think people will accept, but not so much that they will think we're a little bit kooky. Right? So we are hiding what God meant to be displayed. We are cloaking so many times what God meant to be manifested, to be put on display, and to be shown. But we're afraid sometimes of, of how that might look or what others might think. So we're careful with that. And the life, the life meaning Christ, the true authentic person of Christ was manifested. And we've seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father. And then how does he end that verse? and was manifested to us. Why is he, again, you see what he's doing? He's telling him, and then he's telling him, and then he's telling him what he told him. Twice in one verse, he makes the point to make sure that they understand he was manifested to us. This was a very real person that came and put on display and was seen and was shown to us. He was here. I've seen him, heard him, touched him, felt him. All of that. It was so important for John, for his readers to understand the realness and the authenticity of Christ. I think that's the same for us today. Sometimes I wonder if the church promotes the idea of Christ rather than the person of Christ. By the same token... Personally, I think there are people within our churches today that accept the idea of Christ, the idea of there being a loving God who sent a loving Son, but if not experienced, accepted, heard the person of Christ. Two very different things. As we continue to go through this 
this book, we're going to see John over and over talk about some of the false teachers, some of those that were preaching and teaching this, this ideal of, of Christ not really being who he said that he was. And there were many people in the churches and in those, in those areas that maybe were doing good things, but they had not accepted the real, authentic person of Christ. In doing that, I thought about counterfeit money. You know, you can have a counterfeit $20 bill, and you could probably go and you can you could pay for some services to a supply store, and they would probably take it, assume that it was good, go through. Now you get that product that you paid that $20 for, and then that 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 business owner now has that $20, and they go and they buy other supplies with that that come into their store, and so they get they get that. And eventually it gets to some place that he goes to make a deposit at the bank. And it may be three or four or five or seven or twelve times removed from you. And there may have been lots of purchases made, services rendered, products consumed because of that money. But then when it gets to the judge, the bank, and they've got that magic little marker that does something, Heather, I don't know. Makes it explode or something, I'm not sure exactly. And all of a sudden it says, hey, this is, this is not real. This is counterfeit. This is not authentic. Now, were there some good things that happened? Was that fake $20 bill able to do and purchase some products and make some things happen? Yes. But at the end of the day, what was it? It was no good. It was counterfeit. Let me have your eyes. Let me, let me make you understand what I'm saying here. It is very, very real and very possible that you could have an experience with Christ that you like the idea of Him, but you're walking around with a counterfeit Christianity because you haven't really accepted and sacrificed your life and given your life to the person of Christ. And so don't just look around and say, well, I do some pretty good things, and I attend church, and there are a lot of things that look very authentic in my life, and rest on that as being that you've accepted the person of Christ. Just like a counterfeit $20 bill can do some good things and purchase some good products, at the end of the day, when the judge declares, are you mine or are you not, he and he alone knows the authenticity of your relationship with the person of Christ. And that's what John was saying right here at the very beginning. You need to know your relationship that it is authentic with the real person of Christ. Not an ideal, not a set of rules, not a, st a, a statement of virtues of our good life that we're going to try to live, but it's a relationship with the real person of Christ. And just as this happened during this time, even just 50 to 60 years removed from Christ walking on the earth, 
people were in the churches following the ideals of Christ, but not having accepted the person of Christ. It's why we see John over and over speaking to us the importance of understanding that he was manifested, he was put on display to us, that he is real. Verse 3, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John's excited to share this life. And by this life, we mean Christ. That's the true life. He's excited to share it, so much so that he says, my joy cannot be made complete in him unless I'm able to share it with you all. My joy cannot be made complete unless I share who the real person of Christ is to you all. Are we that same way? Do we have such a passion and such a desire for other people to know the person of Christ that our joy is not made complete? We cannot rest. We cannot take complete joy in Him unless it is shared in everything that we do. Does that mean that we constantly need to have a bag full of tracts and everywhere we go, we're throwing them out? I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but I'm not saying that that's what exactly what John meant. The point is that in what we do, in everything that we do, Christ should be manifested, displayed, shown. It's a verb. It's an action. Christ, the person, needs to be manifested through what? Us. Through our actions. Through how we lead our families through the activities we take part in, through where we spend our money, through how we enter entertain, how we educate, our vocations, how we work, how we play, how we study, how we socialize, all of those things in that should manifest, display, show, not just some set of ideals, but literally show the person of Christ. That's what John's saying. That's how we share. And if we're not doing that, our joy is not complete. Our joy is not complete unless we're doing that. Three points that I think John makes hear about this life, this life being Christ, being Jesus. That's what the whole thing is about. It's what his whole book's about, but really even beyond that, it's, a what, it's about what this life is about. Think about your life and the things you're involved with, the activities, the groups, the things you participate in, all of us are incredibly busy in so many different things, and oftentimes we're spread very thin, doing very various and sundry 
activities, and many of them are probably even very good, how many of them at their nature give you the ability to manifest Christ to others? That's the life that we are to live. The life that we are to display is Christ. So three things that I think John tells us about the life. Number one, this life is revealed. Verse 1, we see what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked and touched with our hands concerning the message of life, the word of life, the life of Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. The life, Jesus, is revealed. How is he revealed? He's revealed through his word. He's revealed through creation. He's revealed through the things that he's spoken to you individually. He's revealed through what we see in other people's lives, the work that we see Christ doing in the lives of others. All of those are ways that Christ is revealed. Again, John's making the point here, Christ did not come to be hidden. He's not a cruel God and a cruel Messiah that came, but he kept it a secret. And I hope you're one of the ones that find him under a rock. And if you're not, I'm sorry. He came to be revealed. And if that's the case, let's make sure as the church that we are doing our part to uphold the light that is the life. We should be that lampstand, if you will that lifts up the life, that it can be better seen, that it can be displayed, that it can be shown. Let's make sure that we aren't doing some really good things, but we're doing them behind. I mean, almost I think of this, let's make sure that the good things happening here in this building are not hidden by the hill that's in front of us, and a community doesn't see the manifested Christ that is the person that we have come here to worship and to adore. That we are doing what we need to do to display, to manifest, to show the person of Christ. Second, this life, this person, the Messiah is experienced. It is something that we experience. It's not just something that we study about. Those of you who maybe love, love history, have you studied about the Roman Colosseum? You've read that in history books? How many of you have got to see it personally? Is there a difference, Gene? Yeah. You can study about something all day long and maybe even be able to share more facts about the Colosseum, as far as its dimensions, as far as how it was constructed, you could know more about that than Jean does. However, she's been there. She's seen it. She's touched it. She's smelled it. There's a difference in experiencing the Colosseum and in reading about it in a textbook. Don't be a churchgoer 
that's just a student of the life, but never have experienced the life. To have embraced it. To know it in a way that's very different than a textbook or a book or of words or of ideals, but it's a way of life and it's something that you experience and it's something that you can try to come back and share, but it's still, unless you've gone to see it, we cannot have the same experience that Jean's had with the Roman Colosseum. Can she come and share it with us? Can she show us her pictures? Absolutely. Does that mean you've experienced it? Just because I know her, does that mean I've experienced it? No. She can tell me the story over and over and over. She can show me all the pictures she wants. She can even show me a video with moving pictures and sound. Doesn't mean that I have been there. Some of us, I'm afraid, either here or in the church at large, are living off of the experiences of others, and we're living a video Christianity, in that we've seen a video of it, and so we say that we've experienced it. We're living off that type of experience. How different is that? Gene, when you go back and look at the pictures that you've taken of the Colosseum, are you disappointed in the pictures more often? Because it's like, have you ever been there when, when somebody's showing you pictures and every picture they're telling you, okay, now this, it was so much better in person, right? And you're like, well, why are you showing me this then? You're just wasting my time. But maybe that's just me that I say that. But, but don't they do, and, the, and it's because they're trying to tell you, it was so incredible, look at this picture, and you're looking at it, and it's like, okay, that's cool. But it's like, you're not as excited about it as you should be, and so they're saying, well, if you had been there, it was different, because when I was standing there, you could see, you could see the cracks in the Colosseum, and you could have, there was a sense of smell, and the way the breeze would blow. Can any of that come through in a photograph? Some of us are living a video or a photograph Christianity. And we're basing our entire lives off something that we've seen someone else experience. And because of that, we cannot manifest it to someone else. We can't show it, we can't display it, because we have not experienced it. So I would ask you, if you've had that conversation with yourself, Lord, why am I not able to share this experience with someone else in the same way that I see others doing? Ask yourself if you are experiencing a photograph Christianity or an experiential Christianity, an authentic relationship with the very real person of Christ. Because this life this Christ is meant to be experienced. Thirdly and last, this life is meant to be shared. We see in verse 3 and 4, John says that I'm telling you all of this so that my joy may be made complete. I want to share this with you, and that is one sense of sharing this life, is that we're to share it with others, meaning in that very uh, elementary state of just giving our testimony, of, of 
of being a witness for who Christ is and trying to share it with other people so that they also can have that experience. But it even means something different and more than that, sharing this life. It's what we're doing here this morning. We are sharing Christ together in a different way than where you would witness to someone and sharing the gospel of Christ. But we are sharing the person of Christ together because we've gathered together with one purpose, with one focus, to worship the Messiah. So like what, how we would say that we are going to share a meal together, we're, we're together in that with one focus, and all what are all the byproducts that come from that, that conversation and laughter and getting to know one another? All of that comes from the idea of sharing that meal together, the camaraderie and the social nature of that. That's the same thing that this life, that Christ, is to be shared in a body. We share Him. It's something we share together. It's an experience that we both have. If someone else had been to the Roman Colosseum, Gene can have a conversation with them so much deeper and at such a different level than what she can have with me when we're just talking about the photograph. Right? Because I'll be honest, I'm going to lose interest in the photograph in about 15 seconds. But someone else who has been there and will remember exactly all of the senses that they felt while they were there, what kind of conversation can she have with them? What type of bond, what kind of sharing will that be that's different than with the person that's only seen it in a photograph? Doesn't that make sense? It's the same thing. Those of us who know Christ authentically, we share Him in that way. That's a beautiful, fun, awesome experience that Christ allows us to have. And if you've not experienced that, and if, you, if you're not exactly even sure what I'm talking about in that, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if you are living a photograph Christianity or if you're living an authentic, experiential Christianity. John's very clear that Christ is to be revealed, he's to be experienced, and he's to be shared. And I believe it's in that order. Now, he's been revealed to you, both this morning, weeks and weeks of sermons you've heard, through nature around you, through other people, Christ the person has been revealed. Only you can answer whether he's been experienced by you. But a test of that is your ability to share. If you do not have an ability to share, then you've not experienced. I have no ability to share what the Colosseum is like in person. I could try, couldn't I? And could I even fool some people? My guess is yes. I bet I could tell a story because of the pictures that I've seen and what I've read about the Colosseum. My guess is I could weave a story 
that most people would even believe that I've been there. But the person that wouldn't believe it would be somebody that has been there. Because what I say is not exactly matching up. This morning as we leave, I would ask you to evaluate as we begin our study through the book of 1 John where he repeatedly tells us about the manifestation of the life, the true authentic life. Has he been revealed? Have you experienced? And are you sharing the life of Christ? Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you were here in the beginning. God, there is no beginning without you. Christ, our Messiah, was there in the beginning, the same that he's here now. Lord, I thank you that through your word and through the words of John that we will begin to to continue to study through, through this book. Lord, you have revealed yourself. You have manifested yourself. You have displayed your Son, your Messiah. Your way to salvation has been displayed to us. Father, I pray that each of us has experienced it. And that, Father, we've experienced it and that our lives manifest it, and that our lives display it and share it to others. Father, if that's not true for any one of us here this morning, I pray that your spirit speaks, and that, Lord, that be made right today. Lord, we pray these things in the name of the true, the authentic, the real, the manifested name of Christ. Amen.